everybody. This is Cynthia Barnes back with another episode of Unstoppable. And you're not going to believe who I have on the show today. None other than Julia Andrews. Julia is, in my opinion, just spectacular. She is the Pacific Northwest chapter leader of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals and an all around superstar. She advances women in sales, promotes women in sales, and her life's work is just being exemplary for women in sales. Julia, how are you today? So fabulous to be here today. Yes, yes, yes. So tell (laughs) us, what are you up to these days other than leading the Pacific Northwest chapter of NAWSP? Well, now that, you know, I hate to be a cliche, but opening up, you know, now that COVID is kind of lifting, you know, it's been really important to continue to reconnect, to see a lot of my, you know, special people in person, having more uh, interactions in person with people. Not that, you know, virtually you can't nurture your relationships, but I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've been up to is really connecting and visiting people in person. I've gotten a couple of flights already and just kind of stepping back into it, stepping back into what we left behind, you know, a couple of what seems like, you know, more than a year ago, which is crazy. So that's been kind of the first thing uh, on my agenda is to make personal connections with people. That's awesome. I know that I scheduled to go on a flight day after tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to interacting with people and getting into conferences and things like that. So yes, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm right there with you. Right there with you. <laughs> yes. So you've got an illustrious career. Tell us, what was your first job out of high school? So my my very first job actually was it was in sales. Was selling door to door, knocking on doors, selling kitchen knives, and that was not a job that I had planned on. It was more of a job to help my family. We had newly moved from Mexico to San Diego and I needed to, I had, I was 17 years old and I had responsibilities and those responsibilities were not about, you know, buying the latest, you know, sneakers or, you know, some, you know, cool outfit. It was really about helping the household and, you know, get money so that we can buy food. And that was really kind of an education in and of itself because I I was going through a lot of rejection. But at the same time, one of the things that really helped me with that job was that I didn't know the language very very well, but I had a script and I saw a lot of college kids really kicking butt, really making a lot of money. And one of the things that desperation doesn't allow you to do is to think. So I saw social proof and I was like, well, they're doing it. I guess I can do it too. And that was, that was the the biggest, I guess, you know, job that I could have landed that uh, till this day still helps me with some of the learning opportunities that I got from sales, which was, you know, qualifying, connecting, not taking no for an answer or not allowing no to be a deterrent to your goal. So it was kind of it was hardcore, I would say. <laughs> Door-to-door sales is challenging. I, I admire anyone who does it and lives to tell about it. You know, it, it when you don't know, it's like ignorance is bliss to a degree because I didn't know that people didn't do this. I thought that that's what, how you were supposed to do it until I started getting smarter and getting referrals from everybody that I talked to so that I, I was calling warm leads, so to speak. So it wasn't necessarily uh-huh. a complete stranger. But I mean, within three to four seconds, I had to 
convey trustworthiness. I had to make a point of some sort. I would have to get their attention. So it really makes you sharp around how to connect with people, how to look around. Like, for instance, I was knocking on doors, so I would need to look around if there were any dogs barking, if there were any kids, you know, toys around where I can make an instant connection and actually talk about those things. And then from there, get me to the door, to the kitchen table. And then as I would go on the conversation, continuing to build that rapport based on what I was seeing in my surroundings, based on what what they were responding to or, or really connecting to in my conversation. So I learned very quickly that people don't want to buy, you know, products and services. They want to buy a story. They want to buy, you know, and Mm. I'll I'll give you an example what that means. You know, I wasn't necessarily selling kitchen knives. I was selling the opportunity of them cooking with their kids. I was talking about Mm. romantic meals, you know, uh, a romantic dinner. I was talking about that dream of what it could be and that is a transferable skill that you can use in any situation in any skills industry i believe about talking what is it that you're selling not the features and benefits and products in it of itself but what does that do to your family to your health to your relationships to your life so that's why i'm saying it was it was kind of hardcore even though i was pretty young That's a wonderful lesson. You you nailed it when you said it's not about the product or service. It's about the experience. And when we can tell a story to relate an experience or to get them to dream, then that's what we do. That That's what we as sales professionals do very, very well. And women do that extremely well. I'm glad oh, you glad you mentioned that. Innately. They just need to tap into that and have them recognize or be aware that that's part of their superpower because they do that automatically without even thinking. That is so true. And people don't buy things. They buy experiences. I can't stress that enough. It's not about the the knives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point. For the longest time, people would ask me, you know, what do you do? And it didn't matter if I was selling knives or if I was, you know, in financial services or whatever the medium was. I always said, I'm in the experience business. I'm in the business of having the individual who's the ideal, you know, customer client uh, really have an exceptional experience with the product or service that we're offering so that they become, you know, raving fans, right? Or they become people that are always sending you referrals or are really doing the selling for you, if you will, with other people. Yes, absolutely. It is about the experience. So you mentioned financial services. Tell us about your experience there. Yeah. So I actually, after a year selling knives, I ended up really, really being really good with my pitch. I ditched uh, a script that I used to have because I used to walk in with a script in my hand and read it off uh, verbatim, basically. And I got to sell to someone that was a big head honcho at Merrill Lynch. And that was, you know, I sold them a set and then I, I walked out, you know, with a purchasing order and a job offer to work at Merrill Lynch. I worked there for about two years. 
And it was an incredible experience. It was something like I had always kind of dreamed in my in my little mind as I was going to, to school to work in, in something like this. I would I would buy Clippers magazine and Money magazine when I was, you know, with the little money that I would keep because I would give the majority of my money to my mom. And I had always dreamed this. So it was a dream come true to me to be working in, in a place like that. As I excelled in those arenas, I then moved on to working in credit unions and banks. Then I started working in insurance and ended up working for this incredible company out of the Midwest for about seven years, almost seven years. And I say that that was really where I got my PhD in sales, understanding that, you know, selling was consultative, understanding that selling was about the benefit to the person or the the group, the individual. Our clients were financial advisors, brokerage houses, you know, et cetera. So the consumer became much more sophisticated. And so you had to become this elevated individual that not only knew your product inside and out, but knew the industry inside and out, knew the potential clients, whoever that may have been, the either advisor or his clients, problems, dreams, aspirations, challenges, you name it. And really work from a very advisor export standpoint and educating your consumers so they are making the right decision at the end and picking you as the strongest one. I did that for, it was it was like a wholesaling job. So I would go around, at first I was internal and external, and then I did a little bit of both. And it was complicated to a degree because there were a lot of different products that I had to really understand. But it was just incredible the way that you would impact different people's lives and have firsthand on their security, their insurance for their heirs, their legacy. So it was really rewarding from that perspective. Very hard work, but very rewarding at the same time. When you talk about financial security for generations, yeah, why is that personal to you? So <laughs> I think, you know, coming from a family of five, where my mom was the only one, you know, well, well at a certain point she was working. I, I think, and, and coming from a father that was super controlling with money, I got to understand that control or or money, I should say, meant having different options, meant having uh, a security, meant having a legacy to a certain degree. And I strongly believe in my heart that money should never be a reason why you don't do something that you want to do, because it equals, you know, you shouldn't be feel controlled by it. You should feel like it's a vehicle for you to have different things that you want in your life. And seeing how my mom, I, I remember saying, uh, I was writing down some of the reasons why it was super important to me to be financially secure. And this number came up in my head. It was 730. Well, 730 days equals 600 or 365 days, which is a year. So times two. So my mom worked 730 days nonstop without ever taking a day off so that we had a secure, you know, a roof over our heads and bills paid and just sacrificing her entire life. And I feel that it's important for us as women to be in a position of not having to be controlled over money and to be able to leave a legacy for next generations and also see them have those next generations absorb, you know, what is it that you're doing for, you know, further prosperity to ensure that, that everybody's taken care of. And it, it takes a lot of, you know, financial literacy, but it takes a passion of wanting to make sure that everybody's taken care of and doing a little bit at a time so that everybody can 
can catch up. And I think I always, when I talk to women in sales, that's a piece of the conversation to make sure that they are not just you know, working and great, you know, achieving their goals, but that they're also looking ahead in terms of, you know, what is their financial legacy or whatever the legacy may be, but that they're secure. Mm -hmm. When we talk about financial security for women in sales, a lot of sales professionals go from paycheck to paycheck. Commission could be five figures this month. Next month, it could be three figures. Two-part question. How do women get out of that yo-yo? How do they learn how to balance their financial security so that they are not at the mercy of the, the, the commission check? And number two, how can they plan for the future so that they do leave a legacy? Because too often we leave with what we came in with. I think it starts with understanding that well, uh, uh, let me let me break it down from this perspective. First and foremost, you know, when you are in sales, the sky's the limit on what you can make. So I always advocate, you know, if you're in the financial service industry and you're not making what you want to make, it's time to look at your plan. You know, what are you? Who are you working with? What does your comp plan look like? Where do you want to be? And it it really comes down to planning, Cynthia. Really planning. What do you want your life to look like? You know, in three years, in five years, in ten years, and how do you match up? those jobs in sales that are actually, you know, paying you what you are worth, what your talent is worth, what the deal sizes that you're making. And also having, you know, couple that with, you know, it's really great not to speak about financial planning, but I think it's really an imperative to have somebody also guiding you, supporting you, helping you. And first, let's not make it too complicated. I mean, having a budget, you know, putting a lot of, you know, money in your savings, money, investing your own money, but also being super just transparent with your budget, your household budget, the things that you want versus the, the things that you need, and then building a plan around that. It's super important to make sure that you're aligning the job that you're in with the lifestyle that you have. There's incredibly amazing mm. jobs in financial services that pay you well into your six figures, like multiple six figures. So I think it's also understanding who do you want to serve? Where do you want to serve? Do you want to be an advisor? Do you want to be a wholesaler? Do you want to be somebody that's, you know, analyst? Do you, like, what are the type of sales jobs? Because there's analysts and operations and stuff like that for sales. Kind of nailing that piece down. And also there's a piece, and I'm not going to talk too much about this, but if you have a cap, like a money cap in your mind, let me tell you that you will sabotage your earning more. Like if you feel mm-hmm. like I won't earn more than 75 or 100 or 150, then you kind of zone in on that. And yeah. you will have a hard time adjusting to either earning more or earning less than that. I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but but it's true. So acknowledging if there is a cap to your own earning potential is part of that plan. Where, you know, and and understanding all those things and just, you know, having an assessment about yourself. Where am I? Level one to 10. Am I in a nine? Am I in a seven in relation to my goals or in relation to my income goals? And, And just looking at it very objectively and putting a plan together. Now, when you talk about legacy, that's all part of that. Then you bring in, you know, a financial advisor. There's so many currently right now 
excellent resources online that are minimal in terms of cost. So don't let the word financial advisor scare you or make you feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not qualified, you know, to see someone like that. There's so many different options right now in the marketplace that would give you so much different ways. If you're looking at what are, what's my budget, how can I plan for the future? But legacy planning, I believe should be done with someone that can also kind of look at your blind side, kind of look at other things that you want to achieve and how much money do you have to put aside? How much money do you have to be making? You know, all those conversations that are a little bit more, you know, time consuming and require a little bit more planning, but it's absolutely powerful to start small because the habit that you that you implement right now will continue as you're growing in your income. It's not the other way around. It's not like I'm going to start when I make a lot of money. No, start now. Start mm-hmm. earning, start putting away some money, start being comfortable with those figures so that you can continue mm-hmm. and build that habit and that muscle as you're continuing to earn more because you will earn more. It's just a matter of time. Sure. You mentioned something earlier and that has to do with the self-concept. And there was someone, I forget who I listened to, but they said that if you have a target in mind, unless you increase your self-concept, you'll never earn more than 10% more than that number because you will self-sabotage because you're out of your comfort zone. Correct. The reverse is also true that if your income drops to 10% below that number, you will go into scramble mode to get back to that number. So it has a lot to do with mindset and expanding your self-concept to say, I'm worth more and I'm able to earn more than X amount of dollars. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, I think it's so important also to recognize that what got you to where you are right now is going to require a new level of you to get you where you want to be. So start identifying, you know, what is that level? You know, Julia's next level, Cynthia's next level. Just I want you to say your name and think about X next level. What does that look like? Who do I have to become? Who do, how do I have to think? What are the things that I'm going to be doing, you know, earning that potential? But it, it really has to be something visible inside of you, something that you in your heart you believe in, or else, just like you said, I, I truly believe it, you will be sabotaging, which that sounds kind of odd, but it's true. It's like when they, when we've all heard or read the stories about ex-millionaire, you know, losing their money, filing for bankrupt, and then a couple years, they're back up. They're back in that million dollar rank. Why? Because that's their comfort zone. They don't want to be making 500 or 100 or whatever. They see themselves as millionaires. So whatever that version of yourself is, you have to know that you have to step into that so that you can believe that that you belong. You know, I I always write this this down. It's like, give yourself the permission to belong wherever you want to belong or to make Mm -hmm. whatever you want to make. But you need to acknowledge that that that's yes. going to require another level of you. It's also going to require another level of, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people that may be very well-intentioned, but they're like, oh my God, Cynthia, I mean, you're you're making, you know, the castles in the sky thinking that you're going to make this or that you're going to achieve this because they don't want to hurt you. But really what they're doing, they're actually doing that. They're actually yes. hurting you by raining on your uh, parade. And instead of saying, you know what? go all in, make an assessment of what is it that you need, make a plan, make a strategy, and we'll support you no matter what, but we believe that you can do it. You should do it. 
So thinking about who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with is very important because subliminally, sometimes we don't, we're not conscious of the negativity chatter that's coming our way, but it's actually affecting our actions. You yes. start thinking like, no, I maybe they're right. So doubt starts seeping in and you need to be very aware that that comes out of people that are well-intentioned as well mm -hmm. as people that don't want to see you thrive, but you just need to be very aware and create like networking events or networking uh, circles that actually are asking you, so what are you doing? Where are you right now? Because they want you to level up. So that, mm -hmm. that's, that's very intentional. That's something that I do with a lot of intentionality. Sometimes I don't feel like doing it, but if I am to step into that higher level of myself or step into that door, I need to surround myself with people that are not gonna buy into my story. They're gonna expect more of me. That is so true. <laughs> you, you've heard the expression that discipline trumps motivation. Motivation mm -hmm. comes and goes, ebbs and flows. It may be here today, maybe here yeah. tomorrow. How do you stay on track? Do you rely on motivation? No. So discipline <laughs> or a little uh, bit of both. So motivation is a great thing like the spark. Motivation can be a sparking. It it can just create some spark like going to an event, you know, having a very inspiring conversation. That can motivate you. But motivators are for, you know, that's if you think that motivation alone is going to get you to the next level, to the next phase. I'm sorry to tell you this, but motivation is a feeling. You're feeling good about it. And commitment doesn't care if you're feeling good or if you're feeling bad or what the story is. You're going to do what you say you were going to do. And discipline is the, it kind of it piggybacks on commitment. But the first thing I would say is that mm -hmm. you need to have a commitment. So whatever the goals or whatever the things that you're trying to achieve, you know, for I'm speaking directly to you, girl, if you're somebody that's thinking like, God, I, you know, I, I get motivated very easily, but then it dies down. Well, let me tell you, you're no different than me. You know, I just create my environment right. so that I don't have to rely on willpower. So if I have a goal, let's say I want to lose weight or if I want to achieve something, I make sure that I communicate that to people that are going to hold me accountable and that I, mm -hmm. you know, nobody wants to like, nobody wants to look bad, right? You, you right. want to make sure that you're, you're doing what you're saying you want to do. So make it public. Another thing is create your environment for success. So having like, for example, what are you doing so that the tomorrow is easy? So if you have, for example, let's say that you have to create a list of people to call on, on leads, don't do it the day of, do it maybe the night before, have a strategy so that you're able to hit the ground running when you walk into the office, when you pick up your cell phone, when you open your laptop plan. And motivation is all well and good. I'm not poo-pooing, I'm not saying it's bad, but that shouldn't be something that you're relying on to complete your commitments or to reach your goals because you're gonna be super disappointed. The majority of the time, I don't wanna do the half the things I have to do. Not you know, at all. it's like, but I'm so committed to the outcome that those are the things that most people don't want to do and that don't do to create those results. A right. lot of times, you know, Julia, they would ask me, Julia, what's your secret? What are you doing? And I'm like, you know what? If I told you, it's going to be very boring because it's a lot of repetition. You know, you yeah. have to call certain certain people, you know, certain days, you know, whatever that strategy is for you. And you just smile and dial and then you create content, you send out emails and then you, you are connecting to build relationships. It's pretty 
it's not sexy. No, <laughs> it's it not. Way. The results are pretty cool, but yeah. not the day in and day out of what is it that you need to do. So, I mean, I, I hope that answers your question. I'll share with you something really quickly. I think it can convey the message. A couple of years ago, I started training and I started competing in fitness competitions. And I had always been into fitness, but I really wanted to know what it was like to look like bikini, you know, like cover on a magazine. I was like, how is that possible? Like I can't achieve those results. So I started competing and I really realized what it takes. And the majority of people do not want to do what it requires. I had people coming out of the woodwork like, Julia, oh my God, can you give me like your secret sauce? Like, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, are you ready for the magic pill? Because, you know, get a pen and paper. I'm going to spill the beans. It's three things. And they're like, okay, shoot. A clean diet, meaning zero processed food. And uh, if it has a label, you can't eat it. It has to be completely clean complete dedication to your gym. So cardiovascular, you know, at least 45 minutes and then strength training at least 45 minutes and time. So if you're willing to invest 90 days, 120 days of the same thing in day in and day out, you're going to look like that. But people want to hear that there's another way to do it. And hey, me too, right? <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, uh, that's what it takes. It's just a lot of consistency and dedication. That's why consistency will beat out talent any day of the week. Any day, twice on Sunday. Yes, you are so, so right. So if you can embed those things in your mind, that's going to take mm -hmm. time and consistency, you're going to win. You will win. Just, just give yourself some time to get there. Most people are not patient. Most people are not disciplined. They want the quick fix. They want the easy out. They, but what you're saying is so true. It's those daily habits that lead to long-term success. And too right. often we want instant gratification. We want the magic pill. We want the easy way out, but you're exactly right that it's not sexy. No, it's listen, boring. It's boring. I'm not shaming anybody. Okay. I'm not, I'm not here. If there was an easier way, believe me, I'd be on the first, you know, to, to do that. But it just takes a lot of just discipline, consistency. And when it comes down to it, the majority of people are not willing to do that. No, so they don't reap the benefits of having. <laughs> yeah. But for those who are willing to put in the work, the grind, the monotony, Mm -hmm. things open up. And if you're willing to have a patience, because too many people I find will implement something and because they don't see the desired results in 10 days, they will abandon it and try something else. Focus oh is no. an acronym for follow one course until successful. You've oh, got to follow <laughs> that same, follow that same course until you are successful. True transformation occurs in a year. You cannot begin to change course until you've given something a year to see whether or not it's successful. And most people I find are not willing to take that long. Yeah, you, you know, it's important to acknowledge it's a long game. It's not a sprint, yes. it's a marathon. So if, if you can be patient and you can, you know, stick it out and do 
the reps in and out, you're going to get somewhere because you're going to stand out by the sheer factor that not a lot of people want to do what you're doing. So by the sheer factor, you're putting yourself in a position to Mm -hmm. be noticed, to be, you know, you're just a different breed at that point. And that's what you want. I always had to do that because one of the things I didn't share was I've always worked in a very male driven environment. And listen, I love men. There's some great men out there that are super supportive, but I've had my fair share of the opposite. So being Mm -hmm. a woman, I had to work twice as hard being a Latina, you know, from Mexico, I had to work twice as hard. Not only did I have to know, you know, my culture here in America, which I love, I had to understand the culture in Mexico and, you know, There were a lot of things that I had to be super aware when it came down to work ethic, when it came Mm -hmm. down to showing up and being disciplined, that if I didn't do it, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I created for myself based on my discipline. Yes. And that's what makes you unstoppable. You've had adversity. You've come from another country. You didn't know the language and you still thrive. Yeah. You still yeah, I, <laughs> I say there's, a, I, I call it, I have dog fighting skills. <laughs> there's yes. like a saying yes, somewhere you do. about that. It's like, I, I'm greedy. I, I get, I get really, not greedy, uh, scrappy and really like, there's a word that's like, yeah, with a lot of grit, Gr- like not greedy mm-hmm. as in one more, but gritty, gritty, like that. You where, do have that grit that yeah. Angela Duckworth talks about. Exactly. It's like, I was always... Cynthia, in every single job I ever had, I was always at the disadvantage, always. So I had to kind of gear myself up and be like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. Like, and all I would say to myself, if you like that other person, like I would always try to get closer to the people that were succeeding at the highest level, learn from them, be coachable. I'd created positions for myself out of nothing. I've been called, you're crazy. What are you doing to yourself? Just so that I could be close to the, to the best of the best so that I could learn faster yes. so that I could be in their energy. What are they doing to be successful? How can I, you know, achieve that level of success? And it takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of desire to succeed and desire to, to work mm-hmm. harder than, you know, anybody else in the room. And that will set you apart. Yes. Yes, you definitely have that grit, those dog fighting skills, and you don't accept excuses from others or from yourself. Well, no, because and I love I, that about you. Because I've been through that, so I know what it feels like not to want to do something. So I would rather you say, say to me, you know what, I'm having a difficult time. I don't know how to do this. Can you show me? Can you help me? Other than saying, oh, this is too hard. Oh, this is, you know, maybe this is for other people. No, no, no. You just don't want it bad enough. So don't come and tell me that you really want it. Because if you do, and if you don't know how to do it, let's figure it out how I can help you. But don't come to me saying, this is not for me. Or this is, try to label people and say they they have what I don't have. Kind of thing. Because we're, we're all, we all have that capacity. I believe it in my heart. You just have to, Absolutely. some others have it maybe a little bit easier than others, but there's where there's the will, there's the way to do it. And Absolutely. I'm here to help the people that want to be helped. The women that want yes. to find a different way to achieve what they want to achieve. Yes. I love that about you. I love that about you. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am inspired and I'm going to put up a new mantra on my wall that says, how badly do you want it? Yeah. How badly do you want it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for having me so much, Cynthia. You always, you are someone that is always lifting women up. You're doing so much for our global community, for all the sisters that we have, for all the women that want to uh, be supported and they're raising their hand. You, I mean, that's why I love being in your company and you're just an incredible person. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everyone, this is Cynthia with Unstoppable. And I know, Julia, that the people are going to want to be in your space. How can they get a hold yeah. of you? Oh, yeah. It's my first last name.com. So juliaandrews.com or on LinkedIn. Of course, Julia Andrews. You'll see my picture on there or Instagram, whichever, you know, portal you use. But LinkedIn is, is where I hang out a, a lot. So you can find me there as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes.